Father, we thank you for, Lord, this opportunity to gather together. Lord, first we want to lift up our pastor to you, God, and I know that he wanted to be here, Lord. I know that, um, Lord, when he had even asked for me to teach, Lord, I know it was just the reluctancy of just he knows that he can be here, but Lord, just having to to step aside and, and, and just wait another week. And God, we do just pray for his recovery. I know he says that he's not in any pain and it's more of an inconvenience than anything else. So Lord, we just pray that you would heal him speedily and, and get, him, get him here as soon as possible. We pray for him and Gaynell. And uh, Lord, just taking this time to, to recover and, and rest. And, and um, Lord, we pray for this morning for us. Lord, for us in this building, for the kids next door and the volunteers. God, that you would be glorified this morning, by the teaching of your word, we ask that you fill each and every single one of us with your Holy Spirit, Lord, and help us, Lord, to have a better understanding of, of what we believe, why we believe it, have an understanding of what you did for us, Lord, so that will strengthen our relationship with you, so that way when we go out into our community and we go out to all the places that we interact with others, Lord, that we can tell them with confidence of the great hope that we have and the love that you have given to us God, we want to share that with, with the people that don't know you. So God, have your way in us, Lord. I pray that you would uh, fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me, Lord, to just guide my words and my thoughts as we get ready to just open up your word and teach from it. God, we love you so much. We thank you. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. So one of the questions I like to ask, you know, the little kids and the high schoolers is, why do we study the Bible? What's the purpose? Because sometimes it's like, okay, this is what we do. This is just how we operate. And for the high schoolers, especially right now, because we're in the Old Testament, we're going through 1 Samuel, and sometimes when you know that you're getting ready to do a study in the Old Testament, you're like, Ugh. right? So it's like, why do we study it? And we have to have the understanding that history has a tendency to repeat itself, and it cycles through. And when we look at the Bible, you know, it, it tells us that there's nothing new under the sun. And so as believers, how are we supposed to live? And we look at 1 Timothy and we can see this and it's like, oh, well, you know what? This is a pastoral letter. So that's for the pastor. Well, let's remember that Paul is writing to Timothy, who is the pastor over Ephesus, but he's writing to Timothy because this is going to be a letter that was going to be read to the church for the understanding of how we're supposed to conduct ourselves. If you look at chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, if you look at chapter 3, verse 15, well, we can do verse 14. It says, These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I'm delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourselves or yourself in the house of God, which is a church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Now, I like how some other translations word it. How it says, I write so that, you, so that one may know how they must conduct themselves in the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of truth. Guys, and that is the purpose of the church. Guys, we are the pillar and foundation of the truth. So everything that we do and how we operate has to be centered on this, has to be centered on Jesus. And Paul is writing to Timothy to let him know, hey, there's some things that you need to be aware of, and there's some things that you need to correct. So let's go ahead. Let's read the first 11 verses, and then we'll circle around and, and break some of it down. So in verse 1, he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior, 
and the Lord Jesus Christ our hope. To Timothy, a true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus, that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes, rather than godly edification which is in faith. Now, the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Verse 9, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Now, Paul's telling Timothy, look, this was committed to my trust, and I'm passing it on to you, and you have a responsibility that you need to uphold. Now, five years before Paul writes this letter, Paul was in Ephesus, he had already planted the church there, but he was circling back. He was on a missionary journey to go to Jerusalem. But five years before he writes this letter, he meets with the elders of the church from Ephesus. He doesn't meet at Ephesus. He meets at Miletus, and he tells the elders, hey, I need to have a conference with you, right? A pastor's conference with you and talk about a few things. So if you want to turn there, if not, it's okay. I'll, I'll read it. But in Acts chapter 20, verse 28, this is what Paul is telling the elders at Ephesus. He says this in verse 28, chapter 20 of Acts. Therefore, take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Paul knew what was going to happen. And he was telling the elders, listen, pay attention to what's going to happen. Savage wolves are going to come and not spare the flock. And on top of that, from among you are going to be people that are going to draw the disciples away from the truth and bring them to themselves. So five years later, Paul is writing to Timothy and telling him, look, you need to be focused. There's a reason why you're in Ephesus. So let's go ahead. Let's break some of these things down and, and unpack what, what Paul's trying to write to him. In the very beginning, verse 1, he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the commandment of God our Savior, and to the Lord Jesus Christ our hope. Now, Paul didn't have to give Timothy a formal letter or a formal greeting Right, because he already knew who he was. But Timothy was gonna go and have to say this to the church, he was gonna have to correct some people. So Paul's addressing, hey, listen, I'm writing this, but I'm an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm not appointed by Peter, I'm not appointed by James. I'm commissioned by the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and God, our Jesus Christ of our hope of what we have. He goes on to say in verse two to Timothy, a true son in the faith, and then he says this, grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, that can be so casual to us because we know in many of Paul's letters he writes grace and peace. It's only in Timothy and Titus where he says grace, mercy, and peace. Now, let's not get lost and just think, oh, okay, that's, you know, grace, mercy, and peace. That's just the Christian talk that we have. But that is very significant in the role of a church, and especially for the role of Timothy being a leader and having to correct and help other leaders. See, grace is what we need to realize is what God has given us. And the only reason why we have the opportunity to have salvation, the only opportunity of, of the life that we have because of Jesus is all done by grace. It's not something that we've earned. And the mercy is important because the mercy means, guess what? I deserved a punishment. I deserved to be damned. But God gave me that mercy. And when I have grace and mercy in my life, then I have peace. Now, when do you need grace and mercy? Every day, but when do we really need it? Do we need it when life is perfect? No, we need it because things are messed up. We need it because there needs to be a correction. We need it because we have done something wrong. That's when I need grace, and that's when I need mercy. Now, if I need grace and I need mercy, and I'm supposed to dispense it to other people, that means I have to give it to others when they have done something wrong. All too often, we want people to pay for the things that they've done, and we want to treat people, you did this to me, I'm gonna do it back to you. And, and Paul's telling Timothy, look, grace and mercy and peace need to be the things that are associated to the congregation, to the church, for us as well. Look, all this, this was written 2,000 years before us. It still pertains to the way we are supposed to conduct things. And maybe our household, let's just take it down to a, a micro level, maybe our households would be different if we dispensed grace and mercy. Maybe we're, we're in situations, and man, if somebody would, like, yeah, I made a mistake. Man, but I hope somebody's gonna give me grace in this situation. I could really use some mercy. And if I had that, maybe there would be peace in my life. There would be peace in my household. On top of that, we need to be focused and mindful that maybe I need to give grace in this situation and I haven't been giving grace or I haven't been giving mercy. And because I don't hand those things out and I don't exercise those things, maybe that's why things in my life are in turmoil. In the church, you ever have problems with believers in the church? If you don't, it's because you're, you're not interacting with people because that's going to happen. But how do you respond in those situations is the test. Do you respond in a situation and, you know what, I'm just gonna avoid that person. You know, maybe you're here at first service because you're like, I used to go to second service, but so-and-so's there, so I'm not gonna be there anymore, right? Well, you're not dispensing grace and mercy. You're just avoiding a situation. And then there's no healing. And really, there's ultimately no peace in that. Now, he's telling Timothy grace, mercy, and peace. And that's what we're supposed to exercise. But listen, that is a part of our 
sanctification. As believers, okay, if we've been saved, we are in the process of being sanctified, being made right. God's got to chisel things away from us. And the way that we're going to build relationships and, and become stronger is by grace, mercy, and peace. Now, although that plays a process in the role of sanctification that should never be abused for the purpose of sinful validation. Does that make sense? I'll give you an example. In 1 Corinthians, there was an individual in the church that was having a sexual relationship with his stepmom. And the church was kind of boasting about the fact like, look at how gracious and merciful we are. And Paul's like, what are you doing? No, you actually need to kick that person out because of what they're doing. Don't, uh, don't commend that bad behavior. Yes, we're supposed to be gracious and merciful, but you're just making an allowance for that person to continue in their sin, and that's not appropriate either. So there's a dichotomy to the fact of how do we dispense grace and mercy. It's never to be used in a sense of just abusing it, and that's what Paul is trying to tell Timothy, because at the very end, and we'll see it when we come back around and finish this off, we're gonna see that there's people that live in such a way, but guess what? Those things are not appropriate and should not be in the household of God. So we need to be mindful of those things and not, oh, well, you know what, that's fine, I'll just allow it, I'll, I'll turn my eye, you know what, I'm just trying to exercise grace and mercy because that's what God wants me to do, no. That's not appropriate. Verse three, he says this. As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith. Now, doctrine. Some of us might be like, oh, doctrine, right? But doctrine is super important. There's doctrine at your work, there's doctrine you know, in, in different places that are important, right? Like airlines have doctrine, and the church has doctrine. There's a way that we are supposed to operate and live and how we're supposed to conduct ourselves. Now, doctrine is important, and he's telling Timothy, you need to be aware that these teachers are teaching a different doctrine, teaching a false doctrine. Now, doctrine is what? Doctrine is a set of beliefs and principles that a group of individuals live by. And false doctrine is when, in the Christian realm, when people add to scripture or take away from scripture or completely just disregard certain scriptures. Now when Paul is writing to Timothy and he's telling, I urge you, right? I urge you to charge some He's telling that you need to confront some people about some stuff. Now, some of the commentaries that I was reading were saying, you know, maybe Timothy was in a place where he just wanted to leave, and he was trying to leave Ephesus. Maybe he was tapped out. Maybe there was too much for him to handle. If, if you know a little bit of Timothy, he, he was kind of timid, right? That's where we have that, that scripture where it's like, uh, God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of sound mind. Right? So he wasn't somebody that was really big on confrontation, but Paul's reminding him, no, you need to because of this false doctrine. Now, let's think about that. If somebody's gonna add to scripture or take away from scripture, do you remember when, in Genesis chapter three, what happened with the serpent? 
What did he do? He deceived Eve. Now, here's the thing. He didn't deny God, okay? Because this is the thing with false doctrine. False doctrine doesn't deny the gospel. False doctrine replaces the gospel. So if you think about Genesis chapter 3, the first question mark in the Bible is stated by the serpent. Did God really say? And he starts questioning what God's word says, and right? And we see that Eve kind of like takes away things like, well, first the serpent takes away, right? Did he really say you couldn't eat of any of the trees of the garden? And he's having this debate, and then she adds to scripture where she's like, no, we can eat of every tree, but we're not allowed to touch the one that's in the middle. That's not what God said, right? And that's when false doctrine starts creeping in, and now we're focused on something else as opposed to, it's written out plainly for us. I can see what I'm supposed to do by reading scripture and having an understanding if I just take a little bit of time and not look for somebody else to be the one that's guiding my theology. Now he says this thing, he says, look, when they pay attention, right, verse four, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which causes disputes, right? There's essentials and non-essentials in the church. And the things that, that are not essential shouldn't be something that we're disputing over and breaking fellowship for. Now, there are closed-handed issues, is what they say, that we don't give up on, right? Uh, the virgin birth, uh, Jesus being, you know, completely sinless, you know, him being fully man, fully God. Those things are things that we have, those are closed-handed issues. Like, I'm going to fight for those things, and that's what he's telling Timothy. But there are other things where, hey, you know what, it's okay, we can disagree and we can shake hands on it, but it shouldn't be disputes that those things are what's going to cause division, now, verse five, he says, now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. The whole purpose that Paul's trying to tell Timothy that you need to be focused on is what? Love. When we get wrapped up into things that really aren't essential to our Christianity, how does that affect your life? How does that help you love? It was, it's funny because uh, just on Friday, uh, a group of, of us got together over at Pastor Ryan's house, the, you know, the pastor in Bisbee, and uh, just brothers in Christ getting together, he cooked some hamburgers up, we're talking, and then we just started talking about silly things, right? You know, just like, hey, what do you guys think about, you know, this theological topic? And it's funny because as we were going back and forth on certain things and, you know, some of the guys had different opinions or were, you know, like, well, what if this happens or, you know, look at this scripture. And it's funny because we're just, you know, talking about it, but I like what Pastor Ryan said. He's like, yeah, but guess what? How is that going to affect your life? If this is really what people are standing on, how is that going to affect your life to make you a better husband or make you a better father? Which is important because the commandment is love. Now, here's the thing. If love is supposed to be the thing that is going to be most important, what is love? Because that should be our focus. Listen, if you leave here after a teaching, whether, a, you know, it doesn't matter who's teaching, if it's Pastor Pat, myself, you know, Pastor Jeff, whoever's teaching, and you walk out of here and you're just like, man, that was a great teaching, thank you. And you leave here and you're like, oh, that was so good, you know, it's, you know it was, I was able to stay awake the whole time. We have failed as communicators because the focus should be when you leave here, 
that you're thinking, man, that was convicting. And I realized I need to be more loving. I need to be more gracious. I need to be more merciful. See, love is when I am focused on other people and the attention is off of myself. But when I'm focused on my knowledge and that I gain something, what I end up doing is I start placing myself above other people. So the filter that we need to have is, are the things that I'm paying attention to or being taught, is it giving me a stronger desire to love? And the actions that I take, are they from a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith? What would be the opposite of a pure heart? Selfish ambition. I'm doing it for myself. When he talks about sincere faith, what would be the opposite? I like what one of the commentators said. It would be religious insincerity. We're just doing things for the sake of just doing it, and it's really no thing. Now, I realize, and I need to filter through, if it's gonna be with a pure heart, how do I operate? How do I do things? Am I doing things behind people's back? Am I doing things and they don't know about it? Am I being secretive and pulling other people aside and hey, this is you know, what we have going on, but don't let this other individual know. That's not a pure heart. Because when we love, you know what we do? We put ourselves in a position where this might affect me, but I'm looking out for the betterment of somebody else. It's interesting where he says a sincere faith, or I'm sorry, where he says a good conscience. In chapter four, he talks about some people having their conscience seared. Now, that is a dangerous place to be when you have a seared conscience. Because now you're making decisions and you're not even considering other people. And you have no regard. And you're taking things and it doesn't even matter because you're so used to doing things a certain way and making decisions a certain way that other people don't affect you. And the only person that you're worried about is your own agenda, your own motive, and not the betterment of somebody else. So we have to remember, what is the desire for us to do? Why do we come to church? Why do you come at nine o'clock? Is it because, hey, if I come at nine, then I can watch the football games the rest of the day, <laughs> right? Like, okay, that's fine, but how is that affecting your life in order for you to love? The greatest compliment would be, you walk out these doors, you don't even say anything, but you come back and you say, you know what? What you said really, really convicted me and I ended up calling so-and-so and making amends with them because I realized that I wasn't being gracious, I wasn't being loving, and I needed to get things right. That would be the greatest compliment. It's funny because last night I had said, you know, don't say like it was a great teaching. And like everybody walked out and didn't say anything. I was like, man, I completely bombed it. <laughs> and then my wife's like, you told them not to say anything. And I was like, oh yeah, that's right. You know what I mean? It's, so it's funny because th honestly, that should be the desire that we would leave here different. Pastor Pat says it when he prays a majority of the time, that we would leave differently than what we came. That should be our desire, to bring us in a closer relationship with God. Because when my relationship with God is as close as it can be, then I can love people appropriately. See, in 1 John chapter 4, uh, the Apostle John, if you guys remember when pa Pastor Pat was teaching it, he, there was a section where he says, how can you say you love God but hate your brother? You can't hate the person that you 
can see and love God that you can't see. So the demonstration of how I love God is actually expressed in the way I treat others. My knowledge of God should do a work in me where I'm loving others appropriately, right? Now, verse six, from some, or from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. He said these people, these teachers, have turned and gone astray. Now, Timothy, being a pastor in Ephesus, wasn't in this setting, right? In this setting, it's a congregation, and you all come here, and then, you know, there's gonna be somebody that's gonna be teaching. And there's gonna be, you know, a set of pastors. What was happening in Ephesus would have been a place where there was many home churches. And because there was many home churches, there needed to be specific elders in those churches overseeing that flock, right? Because they didn't have, it was, Christianity wasn't in a place where it was accepted during that time, right? So there was many people, and, there, and you know, in the commentaries, they were saying you know, there's probably hundreds of different house churches operating that Timothy had to be an overseer and going and checking it out. Now, here he says they have strayed away from the faith, and so what does he say of stray? You know, we think about walking, okay, they just kind of veered off the path. But let's think about back then. It was real big into, you know, they were, you know, their big mode of transportation was, you know, a boat or a ship, something like that. And what happens if a boat strays off course? It's not good. And it can cause destruction. And the people that are along in it, guess what? You're going to pull people off and they're going to go with you. And Paul's telling Timothy, look, dude, well, not dude, look, son, because he said, right, a true son in the faith, look, son, you need to go and you need to correct them. And here's the problem. We know that Timothy was younger. If you know anything about the scriptures, he was a little bit younger. He's probably about 30, which means that he was probably having to correct older people. And that's not easy. That's not easy, and it's not something that anybody really wants to do and wants to get involved, and because here's the thing, when you go to correct somebody and you go to try to tell them, hey, this is what's going on, you're putting yourself as the target. But the most loving thing that you can do, and you guys have probably heard me say this a bunch of times, the most loving thing that you can do is tell somebody they're going off in the wrong direction. Loving them, and it's, and it's sad because I've talked to parents where, you know, I've had to like, hey, you know, this is going on in your child's life and you have to do something about it. And they'll say, yeah, but I love my kid and, and I, I don't want to like lay the hammer down because I'm afraid that they might do something drastic. That, look, you can't live in fear. You have to address those things. You have to correct certain behaviors. And again, Listen, it's not on our opinions. It's got to be based on truth. So he says, verse 8. Well, let me circle back, make a point, right? In verse 7, it says, Desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. Now, this is what's interesting. So they're, they're doing these things, and it says they don't even understand what they're saying. 
according to the law, right? They don't understand what they're saying or what they affirm. If some of you were here a couple teachings ago, like when I, when I had taught a couple times ago, I had talked about a certain individual that I was working on a project with, and that individual that I was with was like, hey, let's go get something to eat. I said, all right, cool. And it was during the, the season of Lent. And he's like, but I can't eat meat. And it was Friday, because it was Friday. And he's like, do you eat meat? I said, oh, I definitely eat meat, right? <laughs> I, grew, I grew up Catholic, so it's like, dude, I definitely eat meat. And he's like, ah. Oh. I said, don't worry, we'll go, and I'll just get double meat. <laughs> right? So here's the thing, and the reason why I bring this up is because as we were driving and we were headed to a place to eat, and, and I didn't, I didn't put that person in that situation, right? But I asked the individual, I said, let me ask you something, why don't you eat meat on Friday? He's like, dude, I don't know, I don't know, but that's just what we do, right? So, so here's the thing, and that's the thing, like, they put this law, these, these religious teachers, right, these people that are supposed to talk about grace and mercy are straying away from the truth, and now they're using something and making that the law that they need to abide by. I'm sure that things start off with a good intention, right? If I talk about grace and mercy, and I tell you, hey, as parents, you need to have more grace with your kids. You need to be more merciful. You start thinking, you have no idea what they just did. Like, they're in trouble, and they're grounded because of the decisions that they made. And you're telling me that I just need to back off a little bit? Yeah. Well, you're like, no, because then they're going to do all these other things. Yeah, but when we have such a tight restraint on people, sometimes we put them in a situation that they're gonna go off a path and do something completely different. I know with my kids, I tell them, look, I know you're gonna make mistakes, and I'm giving you guys freedom. And if you abuse the freedom, well then guess what? You're showing me that I need to obviously tighten the reins on you. And they don't like that, right? They don't like that. There was a time when they were super little, and right, they start going to school, and they start getting this like star chart, right? They start getting the star chart, and so they come home and they're like, hey, can we have a star chart here, right? Because what are they wanting? Hey, we want to get rewarded for good behavior. I'm like, dude, I said, you don't want a star chart, <laughs> my boys, right? And, and they're like, no, we want one. And then, like by the end of the week, they're like, dad, please stop, like we don't want a star chart, because it's like, no, you don't have a star today. And it's like, what? Right, because when we start doing these things, we start tightening the reins on them instead of let's live and let's give grace and mercy. You're gonna make mistakes, but you know, if they, if they spill a, a, a glass of milk, and you guys have heard me say this, Kevin Lehman, I got that from Kevin Lehman, right? If they spill a glass of milk, they don't need a lecture, they need a rag, right? And so here's the thing, with the law, we need to be careful. Why are we doing these things? It's like here, some, some of you might feel a pressure where like you talk to somebody and you might see them at the store and you're, you're like, oh, I go to Calvary Chapel too. What service do you go to? Oh, I go to this service. Well, where do you serve? And you're like, I don't serve, right? And right now some of you are like, don't say that, right? Here's the thing, I wish every single one of you would serve. Not coming from a place of legalism and not saying, hey, you know what, you should, no. I, I, I desire because guess what, guys, when we serve with people, we learn how to do ministry, and we learn how to be there and support and cover and move for one another, because guess what? That helps me when I'm in the workforce. There's been times, right, I oversee some volunteers in children's ministry where there's been some issues. 
and talking to people and having to bring them in and like, all right, let's discuss what's going on. Do you understand where this person came from? Do you understand this? Because why? You're gonna end up taking that into, their, into your home. You're gonna take that into your workforce. And when you can learn to be gracious when one an with one another, it helps you be gracious with other people. On top of that, when we serve, the people that I know and the people that I hang out with are because those are the people that I've built a relationship with because I've served with them. But if I say, hey, I want every single one of you to serve, well, now I'm putting a strict regulation on you, and now it's done out of duty and force, and we don't want people to do that. Don't feel like you need to fill a need because, oh, well, I guess I need to serve just because that's there and available, and they need help in the media room, so I may as well do it. No, is that what you've been called to, right? Because we don't want people doing things because they feel that they have to, and they don't understand why they're doing it. Verse eight, as we wrap this up, it says this, but we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly, for sinners, for unholy, for profane, for murderers of fathers, murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers. And if there is anything, or if there's any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. The law was made, it was made for those that break it. Let's think about this, something that's practical in our own life. You go to the airport, everybody has to put their stuff through that x-ray machine, correct? Right? But is that for you because everybody has to, because you, know, you are doing something? No, that's because we wanna make sure that there's not some crazy people bringing some stuff on a plane that's gonna cause devastation to a whole bunch of, you know, to hundreds of people. Or let's think about this. Let's think about, I gave this illustration last night. Let's think of a, a store. You know, most stores have those theft detectors, right? So there's things that are labeled. And so guess what? When I walk through those, through the stores, I have nothing to worry about. Sometimes I worry because my kids think they're funny and they want to pull the little tag off and like put it on a shoe or something. And it's like, I didn't take anything, I promise. Right? But, but for the most part, that's not for me, and I have nothing to worry about when I go through the store, but that's for the people that are stealing. Right? When somebody has that desire and they have a tendency to steal, if they see those things, they're going to think, ah, maybe I shouldn't take it. Is it really worth it? Guys, the law for us and the things that we are supposed to abide by help us to know, oh, you know what? I'm crossing the line. And instead of making the law to be something that I'm inspecting everybody with, the law was made so I would use it as a mirror and I would see myself and see where I lie in it. Oh man, I'm crossing this line. Now, am I gonna continue to cross the line? Or do I need to back off? And maybe I need to change some habits. I need to change my association. Maybe I need to get more serious about what I'm doing in, re in regards to the Lord. But it's not meant for us to put on people. So why is it important for us? If we are believers, 
when we go and we witness to the world, we have to have an understanding that they're sinners, just like me, just like you. And when we look at people and we see that they, maybe they don't meet our expectation or they don't meet what we desire or what we think they should be doing, that's when we exercise, we go back to verse two, grace and mercy and help them along the journey, not to be in a place where we are making them feel guilty, making them be who we're supposed to be. We're supposed to have unity in the church, not uniformity in the church. And there's people that have their own styles. When people come and they volunteer in kids' ministry, I don't tell them like, hey, this is how you have to teach things, this is how you need to do things, right? We get people in, they fill out a, a ministry form. Okay, where are you out with your doctrine? Like, what are the things that you believe? Okay, well, that's in line. I'm not gonna let just anybody start teaching the kids all kinds of crazy stuff, right? But when teachers come in, I tell teachers, hey, look, this is, this is my desire for kids' ministry. Yes, we have curriculum that is going to teach the Bible, right? I love what Pastor Rob says. We don't teach from the Bible, we teach the Bible. So our little kids, all the way up into high schoolers, they are going to be taught the Bible. But what's also important is the relationships that we build with those kids. I want to be able to build relationships with the kids, and I want my teachers to build relationships with the kids. That's why when you go in and you pick up your kids, you're like, why are you guys playing dodgeball? It's because kids like to play dodgeball. And guess what? When you play dodgeball, they want to come back. Like one of the biggest compliments is I ran into a guy, it was Sunday, his kids were down from, uh, you know, for the summer, and it was their first time here, and obviously he you know, doesn't come to children's ministry because when his kids aren't here, there's no reason. And I saw him out and about at a store, and he, he looked at, you know, you ever see people in church? You're like, I know that guy from somewhere, but I, I don't know where it is, right? And he circles around, he's like, hey man. He's like, thanks. He's like, my kids really enjoyed kids' ministry. It was awesome because when I picked them up to leave, they asked, are we coming back tomorrow? And he's like, no man, you gotta wait another week, right? That's awesome, and that's what we want, as opposed to, hey, you need to come here and sit, listen to the message, listen to the teaching, stop talking, and here's your fruit snack. You're gonna try to, you're gonna try to force your kids here, you're gonna be like, well, don't you wanna get a fruit snack? We got fruit snacks at home, I don't wanna go back over there, right? We want kids to want to be here, because guys, this place, guys, this is the only truth, especially for the kids, especially for us, we need to realize this is the only truth that's gonna keep us focused on what we're supposed to be doing and how we're supposed to live. I tell the high schoolers all the time, all your friends that are not believers are going to guide you away from everything that is written in the scriptures. But this shouldn't be a place where we're gonna have high schoolers and we're gonna like mold them and, and hey, you need to do this. No, because guess what? That's, that's not what the scriptures teach us. So when we go as believers and we preach the word, does your life look like you have that abundant life that Jesus talks about? Or when you try to witness to people, the only thing that they hear about your church is how you have these disputes, how you have these arguments, how you have you know, all this adversity, and then you're gonna say, do you wanna to come to our Christmas service? You're like, no, okay? 
But what we need to ask ourselves is, my responsibility is, am I being gracious? Am I being merciful? Am I doing everything that I can to hold on to that peace that is supposed to be in my life? And if we're not, guess what? I have plenty to work on. I don't need to be focused on what other people are doing. I need to be focused on how I am responding in that situation. And on top of that, I don't need to be distracted with all other kinds of nonsense. I remember like even just thinking about this, right? Like things that, that cause disputes or endless genealogies or fables. I remember being in the lobby a few years back and somebody came up to Pastor Jack and was like, hey, what about the book of Enoch? Like, do you guys have that in the bookstore? And he's like, no. He's like, well, is it okay if I read the book of Enoch? And he's like, have you read through your entire Bible? And the individual's like, no. And Pastor Jack in wisdom's like, how about you read through the whole Bible and then we'll talk about other books. But those things are just gonna distract you and take you away from what the Bible says. And here's the thing, guys, a lie Right? In order for something to be powerful, it doesn't need to be truthful. It just needs to be believable. I was real young when this happened, but do you guys, um, for some of you that know, when that guy came out with like 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 88, right? They were saying that the rapture was coming. We had neighbors, I was from Nogales, we had neighbors that had some kind of medical practice, I think he was a dentist, that sold his practice, they sold their belongings because of what was being taught, and they thought Jesus was coming back. Think of Jim Jones, think of David Koresh. What did they do? They took a whole bunch of people with them, and it was centered on man, and it wasn't centered on the Lord. So some takeaways for us. Man, is the Bible the most important thing that I center my life on? Because that's the only thing that's gonna center me on Jesus, and two, is my life reflecting love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from sincere faith? If it's not, guess what? Then there's things that we need to work on, right? Let's stand up and pray. Father, as we get ready to close, Lord, I pray for anybody that came here this, this morning and is curious, doesn't know who you are. Lord, doesn't know what, what Christianity is about. Lord, and maybe they just came in here, or maybe it's somebody that has been coming for uh, an amount of time. Lord, and I just pray that in this moment that you would, by the power of the Holy Spirit, convict the individual. And to know that our walk and Christianity isn't about us being perfect because we could never be perfect. That's why Jesus needed to go on the cross. That's why he willingly went to the cross was to pay the penalty that I could never pay for myself. Lord, as believers, we realize that when we stand before you, that we realize that Jesus is the one that suffered and paid for the opportunity for me to enter in heaven and to be with you. But Lord, for the unbelievers, they feel that maybe their good will outweigh their bad. Lord, and your word tells us that, Lord, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And if we've sinned, that one sin that we've done will, 
has taken away any good that we could ever do. And so, Lord, I pray that anybody right now listening, that if you're banking on your goodness being able to wait your bad, I pray that you would be in a place where you would realize it's never going to happen. We need to be perfect in order to go to heaven. And since we're not perfect, Jesus had to come and suffer the punishment and pay the penalty for us. And he loved you enough to do that for you and to do that for me. And I pray in this moment that if you don't have that relationship, that right now you would tell Jesus, I want that. And I am surrendering my life to your will. And you might not know what that looks like, but it will be a process and an everyday thing that every single one of us in here that has made that decision continue to go through and the thing that wakes us up in the morning and continue on. And so, Father, I pray for that individual right now, Lord, that you would touch their heart, Lord, and, and, and you would give them the courage to say, Father, I want to follow after you. I realize that I am a sinner and I need a savior. And I challenge you, if you've made that decision, come and talk to, to, to myself, Pastor Rob, Pastor Matt, that's in the back in the media room, Pastor Jack that's in the lobby, anybody, the person next to you, that you would have the courage even to go into the prayer room and ask for prayer because you just made that decision. Father, and for the rest of us, for the believers, Lord, help us. Help us to realize there are some things in our own life that we need to be focused on. God, fill us with this grace and mercy, Lord, that will never run out because you are the one that gives it to us. It's not in our own effort, in our own strength. And help us to do this so that we might live in peace. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be able to gather together, that we can teach through your word, and knowing that we can leave here knowing what you have done for us and knowing that you love us as much as you do. Thank you for not holding anything back in order to save us. We pray these things in the mighty and victorious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.